Let me start off by saying that you're going to love this episode, really. We had the opportunity to be joined by Brent, who's just a great guy. You're going to meet him in a minute. He has this awesome company called Dude Be Nice, and he's had such a wealth of experience traveling around the country, working on amazing projects, again, which you'll hear about. And we really dive into what giving is all about, giving to others, about values, living a life with values, community building, and how that all ties into our mental health. Brent was also really transparent and was open about some of his own struggles along the way, which I think was amazing and I'm sure is gonna be very meaningful to anyone listening. And this is really amazing work that he's doing. So I'm excited for you to listen to this. It's entertaining and it's also very meaningful. As always, any way that you can support us, rating the podcast, reviewing it, sharing it, so on and so forth, is greatly appreciated. So enjoy. This is Mental Filter. Welcome back, everybody, to Mental Filter, where we have the opportunity to talk to interesting people, all about interesting things, all through the lens of mental health. As you know, my name is Shmuel Fischler. I'm a therapist. I have a practice, CBT Baltimore, just a bit north of Baltimore. I am super excited about this episode. My co-host for today is someone who I've followed for quite a while. I love the work that he's doing, and I can almost guarantee that you will get something out of this episode. So without further ado, Brent, can you let everyone know who you are? Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, so my name is Brent Kamlich, and I own a company called Dude Be Nice. And Dude Be Nice essentially is a brand built to inspire people to treat themselves and others better. One of the main ways we do that is through video content. So we create and tell stories that are really kind of the opposite of what you see on the news. When you watch the news or mainstream media, or oftentimes when we're on social media, the feeling we feel is, is hopelessness often. And so we wanted to be the antidote for that. And so when you watch our stuff, you go to our website, our YouTube channel, our social channels, we hope that Dude Be Nice videos bring you a little bit of hope and inspiration and joy. So that's what Dude Be Nice is. We've been around for about six years. We started in Los Angeles or just north of Los Angeles, actually in Ventura. And then I grew up in Los Angeles, kind of moved the business down there, and then recently relocated to Austin, Texas, so we could be closer to family. And frankly, having a business in Texas is a lot friendlier than California. Sorry, California, I love you. <laughs> so you're the anti-doom scrollers. Yeah, I think so. I think we're the anti-doom, you know, the anti-doom and gloom. And I used to be a television news producer. That's where I got my start, my career start. And, you know, my job as a television news producer was, and this was back in the day when it wasn't a 24-hour news cycle, was to look for stories that I thought people would be, and we can talk about this. So we as humans tend to gravitate towards the, the doom and gloom and the drama, you know, for whatever reason, you can tell me you're the therapist, we do that. But, you know, I got sick and tired of telling these negative, looking for the worst in our community. So kind of moved on in my career. And then when I started this company, it was really, obviously, I learned a lot from the news business and some of my brand building worlds after that. 
but you know, we want to be different. We want to tell stories, but they used to sing. Right. And I think there's something to that. There is a, you know, I'm a clinician, I'm not a psychologist, I'm sure there's research. Right. You know, we crave the stimulation when we're either watching TV or we're scrolling through social media, we're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Some sort of emotion, like, right? In our head, whether it be burst. dopamine or something else, right? It triggers something in us. Right. So if we come across something, hey, this person was nice today and helped someone to their car, right. it doesn't quite give the burst, unfortunately, as like, oh, something crazy happened. And then the ante keeps on getting upped and upped and upped and up. And it's like, to the point where like, oh, three people got murdered today. Okay. Like I saw that last right. week too. Right. It's like, like why are there nine, why are there nine yeah. 10 iterations of lives, right? It's because we, as humans, like, I think we like to see the drama. I feel like also it makes ourselves feel better when it's like, ooh, look at how crazy they are. I'm not that crazy. And so it's a cycle, you know, that we can continue to consume and then we see more of the negativity than it impacts us. If we started consuming more stuff, that was better for our mental health, guess what we'd see more of? Because we're a capitalistic society, you know, people wanna make money, that's what we would see more of. Right, and I can say that personally, I have found because this is like, I'm working intimately with people all day and what they're struggling with. At this point, I can't sit through one of these like overly dramatic yeah. episodes. I have a much lower, you know, tolerance for that because I see it in real life and it's like I know this is your show but you said I was your co-host so I'm, can I ask you a question out of curiosity of course. yeah sure what is it that you're seeing more and more of in terms of what you're treating as a therapist are, are you seeing an increase in anxiety in in young people and and what would you attribute that to that's a great question and I actually have an answer and for anyone listening we didn't prepare this okay but I actually do have an answer off the cuff is that in recent, I would say six months, a year, and it ties into what you're, what you're talking about. I've had a number, uh, so for people who don't know, I treat a lot of anxiety, sort of spectrum disorders and, and some depression and some trauma as well. I have noticed an upward trend of younger people, I see plenty of college age kids or high school kids who are almost, I would say almost obsessing of like, am I like a good enough human being? Mm. Not, not in the traditional sense, like, am I valuable? Well, plenty of people struggle with that. They get bombarded with this message that you have to care about this cause. And there's so many worthy, valid causes out there. And there's so many, I don't have to tell you, there's so many tragic, unfortunate, wrong things going on in the world that to sort of take up, take the torch and support those people is tremendously valuable. I'm not minimizing that in any way, but for some reason, whether it's through the family, whether it's through social media, sometimes it's through the schooling that they're going through, they get this message. You have to care about everybody, everything to the hilt. And if you don't, then you're not a good human. Mm. That's the message that some of these people are, are getting, whether it's actually being said that way or they're taking it in that way, but they feel like, well, this is so important. I have to care about this disenfranchised, mistreated people. And they are, but then like they come along, like you have to care about them. And then you have to care about them. And then you have to care about them. And it's like, I'm one human being. And then they feel if they can't keep up, they feel so inadequate. I'm like, I'm this bad person because I don't care about this cause or this person 
enough. So I must be, I'm not just, um, I'm the tin man. I must be the tin man. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've struggled with that, especially, you know, in the midst of so much racial turmoil and social justice turmoil, right? I'm like, hey, we're dude, be nice. Um, like, shouldn't we care more about this? You know, shouldn't we do more from an LGBTQ standpoint? Shouldn't we care about, you know, all these things? And so what do you tell people that are struggling with their adequacy, you know, when they're trying to be like really empathetic towards all these causes? What do you tell them? Okay, then that's also a great question. So I, I work and, and don't get me wrong, I have to work in this myself too. I, I think the first step is really to identify and maybe tease out what a meaning am I placing on what I'm doing and not doing. So if I'm conflating that, well, if I don't dedicate all my resources and all my brain space and all of my compassion for this cause, then if I'm conflating that to me that like, I don't care about them, then I'm going to feel like a piece of, you know what, right? But if I can reframe that, that doesn't mean, and we live in a very polarized, unfortunately, polarized, all or nothing, black and white type of world where either you're, you're with me, you're against me, you're the friend or you're the enemy. There's like no, there's nothing in between, which is really unfortunate because that's not the real world. Right. And so if we could work on reframing, I could care about something. So let's just take something out of the hat. Let's say, so let's say there's people in a third world country who don't have access to clean water. I, I, I'm a human being and I have a heart and I have compassion and I care. And if someone, if I was talking to someone about that, I would feel it in my heart. Now, if I wouldn't go ahead and take out my savings and hop on a plane and uh, pay for shipments of water and go there and bring water and, and help them get access to water. Does that mean that I don't care about them? Mm. It's so, and a lot of people struggle to, to separate and I could care about something and also recognize my limitations on what I could. And, and that could be hard. That could be difficult work to do because if I'm equating that, well, if I care, then that means that I dedicate myself to that and recognizing yeah. I'm doing the best that I could do right now. And right now it's this. And then right now it's this. And then right now it's this. If we working in this all or nothing, you know, it's like walking on a tightrope. So as long as we're on the tightrope, you know, everything's awesome. But the second we're off the tightrope, you know, splat. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you shared that, you know, that you're seeing that. I, I definitely sense that there is this message that is being shouted towards people and it's hard to understand as an adult and it's even more hard to understand when you're a kid and the message is if you don't focus or care about the thing that I care about then you're not a good person right and I think that that's a scary place to be because you're right we are just one person and we only have so much bandwidth and we're also all given god-given talents and passions right and so you know I've had to come to grips with, I can't be everything for everyone. Dude, be nice. Can't be everything for, for everyone. We have to know who we are in that we're trying to do good and it's not always going to check all the boxes. And I think just accepting that and being okay with it and knowing whose opinions matter most around you has really helped me, but it's hard even as an adult, you know, I'm going to be 40 soon. And, and I still am always questioning, are we doing enough for this cause? Are we showing enough solidarity for this marginalized community? And, you know, it's impossible 
to be everything to everyone and every cause is what I've learned. And I think this is a good clip that we'll have to, you know, I'm going to have to take and share with our followers because yeah, I know a lot of our, the young people that follow us are probably strongly struggling with the same thing. And the, the, the tough news to hear for people is that you'll never know if you're doing enough. And that like makes people really uncomfortable. Right. There is nothing, there is no one that can say you're doing enough. And people sort of get like yelled at, so to speak, you know, because if I can't handle that, you don't care about my cause. And then I turn that into me being angry at you. And I start saying, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, then it's going to tap into my insecurity. And I'm going to feel like I'm not doing enough. I'll take it even a step further. And then we'll move on to some other wonderful things that I want to talk about with you. I'll take it even further is that not only can we not do everything, I'm talking to myself also, is that I also won't be giving my best self to the things that I do value. Right. right. So I'll be so spread out that the things that I do value are yeah. going to be undermined. It's a parallel to, you know, before we recorded, we were talking a little bit about anxiety and about OCD. And one of the things that I, when I, I do a lot of work with OCD and I compare OCD, and this is with all due respect to people who do this as a profession, as like the stereotypical used car salesman. Right. I have nothing against car sales, <laughs> but the, the stereotypical, I compare it to like selling a lemon because for anyone who's listening, who's somewhat familiar with OCD, I have these intrusive thoughts that make me really uncomfortable or they make me anxious and make me feel really disgusted. I just, I can't sit and tolerate it. Now it's coming from something, someplace that I value. So let's say I value my family's well-being. Great, wonderful value. Now I have this thought that introduces a doubt, well, maybe my family is not safe right now, or maybe this is a danger to my family. So then I'll act on it, trying to protect them. And then I'll do that more, and then I'll do that more, and the line keeps on getting pushed, where let's say I have a, I don't know, let's say I have an infant at home, and the baby's crawling around, I'm like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna get sick from this, or get poisoned from this. And so I pick them up, and I hold them, I don't let them crawl, I don't let them play in the dirt. That, is that gonna actually help their well-being? just the opposite. It's going to undermine their well-being because it's going to not be good for their health because right, their right. immune system needs to, they need to play in the dirt. So not only are we not going to be able to do all these things, it's actually going to take away from the thing that we value the most. Hmm. If you think about it. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, so that's a whole nother topic just of, you know, what you're experiencing in your own office as a clinician and then, you know, how you're treating people. But I'm, you know, I'm worried for our young people that this idea of not ever being good enough is going to rob people of their joy. And it is already. And so we need to stop telling people what they need to do and just inspire them to find their passion and, and follow that path and not feel like they have to spread themselves so thin that they ultimately never accomplish anything. Couldn't have said it better myself. So you were in journalism and, and TV, yeah. right? And so what was that, what was that tipping point or what was the germination of, you know, dude, be nice? Well, it was a long journey, you know, in college, my dream was to be a television news producer. So I did whatever I could to make that dream a reality internships, making various connections, and then got my dream job when I was 21, 22 years old at CBS. I was producing the 11 o'clock news. There's no reason that a 22 year old should ever be producing the 11 o'clock news. It's a very influential Thing, the media, but I was. And so got that job, did it, 
thought it was going to be, you know, something that was glamorous, led me to an LA, back to LA, my hometown, where I was a big time producer driving a fancy car, all those things. What I realized is, A, you barely make any money until you actually make it big. I was, I think I got a raise once and it was like, hey, congratulations, you're making 10.50 an hour as a television news producer. I'm like, this is absolutely insane. But ultimately, there wasn't so much a tipping point, but just a lot of things, a lot of dominoes started to fall. I just, I started to get really sick and tired of having to cultivate this newscast every single day. And by the way, it's a business, right? So I couldn't just, I couldn't just show up and be like, well, there's not enough news today. Let's do it tomorrow. There's nothing newsworthy. No, I had to come in. I had to put together a 30 minute show, whether it was something newsworthy or not. And I would find as much crap as possible to fit into this newscast that I thought people would gravitate towards. So people would watch our show and we could make more, we'd have more eyeballs. We could uh, charge more for advertisements and the company would make more money. Right. And so what I discovered very quickly was if it bleeds, it leads. In other words, if bad things happen, it gave us a story to tell. So all those things were starting to happen, but I'll never forget. I was actually asked to go out in the field and get an interview with a woman. And the woman was now a widow because her husband had drowned in a flash flood. And it was my job to go track down this woman and get a sound bite of, how are you feeling? Like, what do you mean, how am I feeling, right? And I basically dodged it. And I didn't do it. And I almost got fired because I just didn't feel good about it. And I just wasn't excited or passionate. I didn't have that in me. And so I almost got fired for that. And I remember thinking like, this is dumb. (laughs) I don't think I want to do this anymore. It was hard because I was like, this is what I dreamed of. I'm doing it. What am I going to do now? So I actually went back and called a person that I'd worked with when I was a camp counselor during the summers at an adventure camp up near Yosemite in California. And, um, I was like, are you hiring? And they're like, yeah, we're looking for a program director. So I went from like a soul sucking job to a soul enriching job where again, I wasn't making much money, but I was working with young people up in the mountains, teaching them adventure skills, leadership skills, really positive environment. Um, And then that kind of led me down this path of, you know, ultimately having to get a real job, which meant not even, I, I shouldn't even say a real job. Those are real jobs, but a job that, that could pay the bills, I guess. So that took me down this path of sports marketing. I worked with the 49ers from there. I got a job at T-Mobile USA up in Seattle, Washington in their marketing department. That led me back down to LA working at a big digital marketing company. And then ultimately, you know, I took all those skills and put them together to start this company, you know, building a brand, but also, and telling stories. We do a lot of things with young people like we did at that camp. And that's kind of what manifested Dude Be Nice. And it's been, you know, quite the journey since. Very important question now. In the seven years, how often does someone think they're so smart and come up to you and give you a big Lebowski reference or a dude, where's my car reference? You know, the big Lebowski, it's almost like I know when it's coming. It's always like a gruffy, like biker dude that like comes to a booth where we're at or makes a comment. And, you know, I'll be honest, big Lebowski, that's like my roommates in college. That was their favorite movie. But for whatever reason, I actually never made it through the movie. I'd always fall asleep. So I've never actually watched the entire Big Lebowski. But yeah, we've gotten it quite a few times, but it's almost like you know the character that's going to make that comment. Both Dude, Where's My Car and and Big Lebowski. But we see Dude, we've all, it's funny, you know, I feel like it's a little bit more, uh, people are more conscious of it now, you know, in terms of like using gender neutral terms. But for us, Dude, the reason Dude was always a thing we liked was we felt like it was a very general neutral term. Growing up in Southern California, like Dude, you call everything Dude. I mean, I think it's like, 
is that good, there's like a good burger skit or something. It's like, I'm a dude, she's a dude, he's a dude. We're all dudes. Yeah. So dude to us, at least, I know there's some controversy around it, but has always been very inclusive and gender neutral. Like anything can be a dude. Like when my computer breaks, it's like, dude, what's wrong with you? Right. It's like anything can be a dude in our, in our book. Right. I got you. I got you. And so long before this podcast even existed, I've watched a lot of your videos with high schools and young people. Has that changed over the seven years of the work that you do from, you know, from when you started until now? Yeah. I mean, our, our brands evolved quite a bit. Honestly, I always knew there'd be some sort of storytelling element with our brand, but when we first started, we were just like, a t-shirt company, more or less, you know, I was kind of like, wow, there's so many brands out there that don't stand for much. Let's be a little bit different and create something that's more positive. And then from a branding marketing standpoint and and passion standpoint, frankly, I always knew there had to be some more depth to it. Like, what does this mean? How does it come to life? And that's when we started doing these surprise celebrations. If you haven't seen them, folks out there, we started a thing called the Dude Be Nice Project, where basically we throw these epic surprise parties alongside communities. It's mostly been schools for people that are amazing, but underappreciated. Crossing guards, custodians, teachers. And uh, we started filming these kind of with the insight of, hey, there's so much negative crap out there on TV, on social media, let's create some positive stories and also highlight communities and kids doing good things. So our brand evolved kind of from t-shirt company. We started making these videos and then those blew up. So most people knew us because of our videos. And frankly, that's where my passion lies is telling these stories. And so we've really evolved into a media company, a platform that, that creates videos, tell these stories that provide hope instead of the hopelessness you see on the news, like I said earlier. And so, you know, we've evolved and, and our content's evolved. You know, the Dude Be Nice project, what I just mentioned, will always be a staple, I think, for us. We love doing them. You know, we're hoping to do three or four episodes in the next six months, but we're also creating other stuff that we can share more frequently and still have an impact. So more podcast style interview type of stuff. So we're always evolving, looking for new opportunities to pay off our brand mission. Yeah. Personally, you know, when I first saw it, I love the, almost the simplicity of the message. Just the line is great. Like, dude, like, just, just be nice. Yeah. Like, it's not that, yeah. it's not that difficult. Just, just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe sometimes it feels like it is difficult, but it's really, I guess, reassuring or invigorating, you know, to see that these young people and they genuinely want to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of our, you know, why I love doing those type of stories alongside students is because again, mainstream media will tell you that kids these days, you know, we're doomed, right? Like, oh my gosh, because you just see the negative stuff. You see the TikTok trends of them, you know, basically destroying their bathrooms or vandalizing or fights or violence or whatever. And the reality is, because I spend a lot of time with kids all over the country is, is kids these days, like one of their core values, and it's kind of what you're seeing, you know, as an issue as well, because they, they want to be so good, they can't be good enough. But kids these days want to do good things as a general rule, they want to be a part of positivity, they want to make a difference. And so that's what's cool about what we get to do. I have, a, I have an interesting question and maybe a difficult one to answer. And I can relate to this also because, you know, in, let's, in the business that I'm in, right? So it is a business, right? I, I work with, it's meaningful. It's very meaningful. And uh, it's a privilege to be able to work with people who allow themselves to be vulnerable with me and my staff and to work on, on what they're struggling with. And it's like a funny, like intersection because it is also a business, 
right? And we want to be successful as a business as well. So then I think about, you've heard of the term, I'm sure, uh, humble bragging. Yeah. So social media and being online is sort of like a double-edged sword. So on one hand, you can spread, you know, positivity and encourage people and motivate more people to do that. On the other hand, we live in an era of misinformation. I think we can all agree. And so it could be very challenging to be able to see like who's actually genuine and who's not, who's like posturing, if you will, or or who's like doing it so that people will get clicks and will get views. And it can be very hard. I mean, as a practice, I use social media too. And it can be very, sometimes it can get caught up in, right. You know, what kind of exposure I'm getting. So I'm curious your experience in the seven years and you're working with young people and you're doing amazing content. What have you observed? What have you learned? to try to like straddle that, well, it's meaningful. It's obviously a value and it's obviously coming from a genuine place. It's so also it's, a business. And it's also a business. So from your end, and then also from the amazing teams and the kids and the schools that you work with, how do they straddle? How do you straddle this? Like it's actually genuine, but also trying to get that exposure and grow as a business. Yeah, I'll answer that in a couple different ways and, and parts. Early on, I struggled with that. I was like, should we, because we're not a nonprofit. I was like, should we be a nonprofit? Because aren't nonprofits the organizations that do good in the world? And then I checked myself because I was like, for a couple of reasons, I said, well, there are plenty of businesses soda company, from soda companies to fast food joints, right, that are for profit and you know, ultimately not necessarily beneficial for people why can they be for profit? And that's okay. And someone that ultimately is trying to make an impact be for profit as well. So it was kind of my like, I was like, no, we should be for profit. And also at the same time, I was like, I don't want to rely on people giving or donating to us. I want people to buy into us because they ultimately believe in what we're about. So that's the first part of this. The second part of this is in everything we do for the most part, you'll notice that dude, be nice. Us, me, you know, we're not necessarily front and center. We're kind of providing the backdrop. We're the guide to make these stories happen and come to life. But the heroes in our stories are the people that are actually out there embodying this brand. It's the students. It's the people we're celebrating. It's the interviews of the people that we're we're talking with. And so we're very conscious of trying to elevate other people's voices and us just be the platform for it. And so all that being said, we hope people, you know, see us as authentic and genuine and also know that, no, we actually haven't made billions of dollars doing this. And there's a lot of things that we could have done and triggers we probably could have pulled to increase our revenue, to be more profitable. But for the sake of authenticity and being genuine, we've struggled more frankly. And, you know, we've been okay, but our business has been up and down. There's never been a lot of money in our bank account at the end of the day, because we've been pretty generous. We think, you know, over the course of our existence, I've been generous with my time. So yeah, I mean, I don't struggle with it. There were definitely, there were definitely times where I was like, man, you know, are we going to come off as disingenuous or whatever doing these things? But I think that we've proved ourselves enough and have offered enough value to people without asking them to buy something that we don't have to feel that way. And if there's some people that say, you know, oh, this is a commercial for your brand or whatever, you just have to be like, okay, that's, that's one opinion of literally billions. Right. 
and I'm guessing that you can sleep better at night that you're true to yourself. Yeah, true yeah to absolutely. Yourself. And I think my friends will tell you, my family will tell you, like one of the values that is a core in my life is kindness, you know, treating people well, making sure people feel seen. But at the same time, like I do not pretend to be perfect at all. I get mad a lot. I say things that I wish I didn't say to, to people I love, but like I'm open about it. My, my friends know that I am very imperfect, but they also know that I'll be there for them in any moment they need me. And so, you know, I'm human and dude be nice is not dude be perfect, right? It is dude just try to, you know, treat others a little that's bit better. A, that's a completely different YouTube channel. Yeah, dude perfect is a different one. Those guys are killing it. And I mean, they've done a great job. Yeah. And mind you, you know, dude perfect after, you know, 300 takes. You know, it's it's do perfect. What's your take or what's been your experience? The connection between there's two big aspects in the work that you've done, giving to others and community, I think, and watching, you know, the videos and the work that you've done. Those are big themes. Yeah. What would you say is like the relationship between doing for others and community and mental health? That's a tough question, but I'll try to answer the best I can. I think doing for others, they're all related, right? So first of all, I want to start with a lot of people think that, oh, I can't make a difference in other people's lives. I can't do things for other people. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. But what I've learned and what you'll see in a lot of our stories, our videos, it's the little things that are monumental. The little things in people's life can make a big difference. It's not necessarily a new car for someone that is always the best thing that they need in that moment. It could just be a nice note or a compliment or recognition. So I will say that, you know, giving to others doesn't have to be, have to be very big and and community community happens when you open yourself up to help other people and to also be helped. And all those are related because altruism and doing nice things for other people without an expectation of something in return actually brings us joy. And that this is, you know, I'm going to put on my wannabe, you know, psychologist hat. and, And I know from reading a lot, that a common thread in how happy people are is how willing they are to help and show up for other people and also their willingness to allow people to come in and be helped. So yeah, I mean, I I think ultimately community happens when you put yourself in positions to help other people, to be vulnerable and to allow yourself to be helped as well, you know? And it's hard, I think in the last year and a half with COVID, one of the things that's been fractured the most is community. We're not spending time with each other. And, you know, even Zoom, yes, it's a you know, great technology, but it's not the same as sitting around a campfire with people, whether it be people you know or strangers or getting together and hiking or going out front of your house and having happy hour with your neighbors. Like that's, that's how community is built. And community takes effort and vulnerability and discomfort a lot of times. Yeah, well said. And it's a basic human need. Totally. Psychologically, to, uh, if you look at, there's famous like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And one of them is, is being connected, feeling like you're a part of something. Right. Community provides that. So when right. you're involved and you're giving, you feel like I have purpose. I'm a part of something. I will do things for others. They'll do things for me. And for some people, maybe initially it feels like counterintuitive by giving And it sounds a little cliche, but cliches are there for a reason. They become cliches for a reason. By giving, you don't realize what we're actually getting. I couldn't agree more with, like, it doesn't have to be something big. Years ago, 
I, while I was still in school, I had a, like a side job. I was doing some pastoral care in a nursing home. So elderly mm-hmm. people. And it was so easy to make a person's day. So easy. Literally, literally just give them two minutes of your time and just listen to them talk Yeah. or smile or ask them what they're watching on TV or talk about their family. It makes no difference. It's not complex to be able to give and, and do something. And you do not realize how much it actually, yeah. it actually means to them. Absolutely. And I, I think that back on the community piece, I don't think you have to like go into community with this idea of like, what can I give? I, like I said, just to reiterate, I think it's just showing up, right? Like I'll give you a great example. I'm in the CrossFit cult. I like CrossFit. You know, I go, my time is at noon. I try to go as much as, as often as possible. And over time, even though I, you know, I'm relatively new to this class, doing hard things with other people, you know, we're all there to accomplish the same goals. You feel connected with these people. You feel excited. I've developed relationships with people and we help each other in various ways. And it's, you know, community often starts with just your willingness to show up and then maybe a little discomfort, i.e. having a hard workout together. And then, uh, is it IE or EG? I can never get those, those correct. Um, Same here. And then, and then, and then, you know, it's amazing how those things flourish. Yeah, like a shared experience or a shared challenge. Yeah, shared experience or shared challenge is a great way to build community, for sure. Why do you think like men and women in the military, right? When they become veterans, they are bonded for life because they share this, you know, unique, challenging experience together. And there's like no bond, no like brotherhood or sisterhood bond greater than, you know, military vets that I've seen. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Or cancer survivors or, you know, people that have gone through hard things like it it becomes a community and you just have to, you know, be willing to tap into it. Right. And the less isolated one feels, then the the better chances they are to thrive and and to have more resilience. So then, you know, you had told me before we re-recorded it, you had the, the experience of being involved in a TV show, right? Can you tell us a little about like that experience? And there was a little like a uh, dichotomy there of being yeah. involved in that. Yeah, so, so Dude Be Nice, obviously we've done some pretty cool things in the video space. We've done what a lot of people wish they could do, go viral and get all these views, right? And, and what I found in that, by the way, is... Yeah, that's exciting and it's cool because people are watching stuff that's positive. We hope they have an impact, but ultimately no amount of views, likes, followers is, is going to truly bring you that satisfaction that we all want. But having said that, because of the success of some of our videos, I was approached to host a TV show that was very similar to the values that, that we had at Dude Be Nice. The show was called Operation Awesome. So I, I was approached to be the host of this TV show and the, the concept was to take five amazing kids around the country and these kids are entrepreneurs philanthropists inventors and in each city we landed in the kids had 48 hours under my guidance uh, but i was more of a kid in distraction than them under my guidance these kids had to pull something off in that community to make it a better place and so they had 48 hours to do this it was pretty cool and so i i was tapped to do this show they offered me the position so i did it and that meant for the summer of 2020, I went 
across the country during a pandemic with a crew of 40 people and five kids and their parents. And we filmed 10 episodes of this TV show. Uh, we started in the East Coast in Connecticut and kind of went all the way to Michigan and then back to the East Coast. And so it was my dream. I've always dreamed of doing something like this since I was a teenager. And here I was in my late 30s. And I'm like, wow, my dream is actually happening. Like this doesn't always happen. I've always wanted to be a part of something like this. But what I experienced during the show that not a lot of people know, and if you watch the show, you probably wouldn't know it, is I experienced some of the most intense anxiety that I've ever experienced. I've always struggled with anxiety ever since I was in college. It's gone up and down. I've learned to kind of manage it. I've talked to people about it, trying to get help, but I never fully addressed what was going on inside of me. Why, why was I feeling that way? It kind of ebb and flow so I'd get through life. But in a situation where there was a lot of pressure for me to perform every single day in front of a lot of people and other people's jobs depended on it, it manifested in a way that sucked. From the second I got to my hotel or even the night before I started shooting till the end of the summer, while there were ups and downs, it progressively got worse. And anxiety was ripping me apart and how it was manifesting or what was triggering it was not so much the pressure of just performing, but inside I was struggling with this idea of what if this distracts me from performing? What if these thoughts or these feelings, like what if it takes over me and I can't do my job? And, and so every time I'd kind of get, you know, one, one obsessive thought would kind of dissipate, something else would manifest. I'd be up at night and, and it was crazy. And, and I felt crazy. I felt lost. I felt hopeless. I was alone because it was COVID. So my family wasn't with me and they kind of isolated me so I wouldn't get sick and ruin the whole production. And so I just felt lost by the end of the summer, about uh, the last week, it, it was like, I don't even know if I could finish this. I just felt so hopeless. And so I have, I've talked to therapists before just because I think that it's important to be able to share your emotions and what you're going through. Even if you're feeling great, I think that it's important, but I did research and by the, the grace of God, I found a guy in Los Angeles and I'll never forget. I called him a week before and I wasn't sure if he was taking new appointments or not, but I talked to him and I kind of told him what was going on. And he's like, hey, yeah, he reassured me. He's like, you're going to get better. And that got me through the last week. And from the time I got home until, you know, actually pretty recently, I've been talking to that person every single week and doing the work to figure out what was going on with me. And what I found is I, I, I deal with this form of OCD called pure O where I get very obsessed about certain sensations that are normal or certain, you know, it could be like noticing your swallowing or like, you know, just noticing certain thoughts and, and rather than they just pass through me as that's just a thought or normal, I fixate on them. And so fixating on them then causes anxiety because I ask myself, oh, am I going to think about this forever? And so, you know, I went to work, I did the work and, uh, you know, here I am almost, or actually more than a, a year later. And while I still experience these, these thoughts and, you know, these feelings, it doesn't cause as much turmoil in me. And I'm learning to accept like, this is just who I am. I've got these obsessive, intrusive thoughts. I obsess about certain things. And that, like, that's who I am. I can blame my dad for that, my genetics. I, you know, who, who knows? But, um, you know, I continue to do the work. And, and the work for me means, you know, trying to control the things that I can control, which are exercise, my, my health, 
meditating, praying, you know, continuing to talk to someone, you know, less frequently, but you know, when I need to, those are the things I control. And then understanding that I can't control all the thoughts and things I obsess about. And it's even during our conversation, like there's thoughts, things that used to rattle me a lot more that are coming in and distracting me, but I just am kind of like, there it is. Like, that's just part of who I am. And, and so that's the growth trajectory that I'm on, but it's taken a ton of work. And, you know, I hope anybody that listens to this knows that they're not alone in that. And a lot of people that are successful, you know, have these, you know, part of it is I'm a perfectionist. And so I don't want people to notice when I'm imperfect. And so that causes anxiety. So yeah, there's, but there's help and there's people that can, I wouldn't say fix you because you're not broken. It's just help you realize that you're who you are. Thank you for sharing that. It's not always easy to share, but I can guarantee you that there's somebody listening right now. Be like, you're telling me there's somebody else. And maybe that will like, you know, motivate them to, you know, pick up the phone. And it's as someone who's worked a significant amount with OCD, I can attest how isolated people feel because it's so strange to them. And it's so like, this is just, it makes no sense. Why is this happening? What's the reason? And like, you want me to share that with someone like, wow, what the heck is going on? It's just make, and they feel so alone. Sometimes some of these intrusive thoughts are extremely taboo and odd to them. So they feel ashamed to share them. There's a wonderful organization called International OCD Foundation. If you look them up online for anyone who's listening, it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. And yeah, I can attest to like what you're experiencing. And I'm so glad you got, you did that work. And, and so there's good news and bad news here for anyone who wants to know a little bit more about thoughts and, and, and OCD. So I'll start with the bad news. And the bad news is, if you want to call it bad news, the bad news is that you, I, and everyone else, we live in this world that is just has endless, endless, endless possibilities and, right. and outcomes. And a lot of those are undesirable outcomes. So this world is full of uncertainty and risk. Yeah. And if you notice that the, when you describe the thoughts, it's like, well, what if this what if that, what if usually starts with a what if, a maybe, a could be. And so we have this desire, or let's say if I have OCD, it's like, Shmuel, you can't, don't sit with that risk. Don't you want to, don't you want to mitigate that risk somehow? Don't you want to make sure that everything's going to be okay? Well, what if this, and what if that, what if that? And so we try to do something about it. Whether yeah. it's I ruminate over the thoughts and I review, I check, I ask someone, I do research. There's a whole host of things that I could do to try to like sort of quell that and sort of convince myself that everything's going to be okay. And that helps briefly <laughs> until it comes back because the bad news is that there's no amount of reassurance or checking or reviewing or asking in the entire world that will be enough to stop, that, it. To stop it. Exactly. Stop it. Yeah. And, and people. I, I don't blame them. I understand it because we're all like that in a, in a way that we want to be able to control a thought from coming in. And you know what? We can't. And so my point is that I'm not in any better shape than you or anyone else who might have OCD. It's not like I'm 100% confident. So let's make up a what if. Like, let's say I have a what if thought. Well, what if I have a brain tumor in my head right, right now? Do I want a brain tumor? Oh, <laughs> do I know for sure that I don't have a brain tumor? No. So I'm in the same boat as everyone else 
that there's this uncertainty and there's this risk. I don't want it. And I also don't know for sure that it won't happen. But the good news is that because we're all in the same boat, we all, even people who have OCD, they are handling uncertainty and risk. We can build our tolerance to not knowing. So it's yeah. about changing the relationship we have with thoughts instead of controlling thoughts. Yeah. One more time for people, because this is like the core of it. It's not about preventing the thoughts, controlling the thoughts. It's about changing the relationship I have with my thoughts. So I have a thought that doesn't mean it's hundred percent true. and doesn't mean that I have to act on it, but sometimes it's hard for me to believe that I can handle this thought coming in and yelling at me. Shmuel, what if you have a, what if you have a tumor, man? Like, can I give an example? Yeah, please. So I'll give you an example, right? So coming into like a podcast like this or anything I do, and I'm, you know, up in front of people all the time, you know, thought I had heading into this Oh, what if you, what if you fall apart? You have an anxiety attack and all these things that you've been working on just unravel, right? That's the thought. I don't like that thought. That's not a comfortable thought, but the way I've learned to react to that thought and have a relationship with that thought is saying to myself, so what? It could happen. Is it the end of the world? Is that worse than, you know, my kid having cancer or whatever? I can't treat that thought as a catastrophe, as the worst thing in the world. And by the way, I've had moments where I've kind of felt internally like I've fallen apart, but no one else even noticed, right? And so I've had to just build a, 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 an awareness of how I'm thinking and then the tools to have a better relationship and just accept those thoughts are gonna come. Like most conversations I have, I have all sorts of things just coming at me. And now I'm just like, I expect it. It's there. That's who I am. I still don't like it. Sometimes it gets the better of me, but I have a better sense of what it is and my relationship to those things. And so I can come into this conversation and just be like, that would suck if I, you know, had this anxiety attack or all these feelings that I don't like. But at the same time, A, the likelihood's not that likely based on what I've experienced. And B, let's say it did and it could happen because I can't control that either. Then you know, I'll deal with it. And it's not the end of the world. Like, I'm not going to be on the streets tomorrow because of that. So you really hit it because it, there's two layers to it. There's what if this bad thing is going to happen? And also there's a belief of I can't handle it. So right. on both of those levels, well, the chances right. are it's not necessarily likely it's going to happen. Even if it does happen, even if you fall apart on a podcast. Okay. You still can handle it. So our response to those thoughts is like, Shmuel, maybe, maybe you have a brain tumor. I'm like, yeah, that would suck. Could be. And, can't oh. control, and, can't, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I have this, I have this very, I, I'm, I'm the king of like oddball references. This is a full transparency. I, I, a long time ago, came up with this like oddball reference to describe like how do we respond to thoughts like this? And I use Eminem. Okay, Eminem doesn't. The rapper or the candy? the rapper and Eminem, I'm sure you're listening to this. But you don't realize how you, <laughs> how you, you've been a reference of mine for years. It's a uh, Eminem reference from uh, the movie eight mile that he was in that sort of like loosely was based on his life. And there's like towards the end of the movie, those who haven't watched it, he's, he's in this rap scene. He has this really cruddy life situation and have these rap battles, underground rap battles. And there's this final rap battle scene. And what he does is brilliant. He's going up against this, like, you know, king of rap there who's yeah. one. 
And it's Eminem's turn first. And what he simply does is he gets up there and he says every trashy thing about himself that the other guy would say. I am this. This is true. This happened. He acknowledges it all. He doesn't go on defensive. He doesn't try to argue. He puts it all out there. You know what? I am this. Okay, now what? And then he passes the mic to the other guy and he's like, he has nothing to say. And then it's over. And I think of that as a response to thoughts that we have. Yeah, well, what if this happened? This could happen. That could happen. That could happen. And I'll be like, yeah, that could. Yeah, it's amazing the power that that has for sure. Almost beat yourself to it. (laughs) Beat your other self or whatever you want to call it. Why am I drawing? Like Eckhart Tolle, right? It's, we have these, like, what is, what is I, you know? Exactly. Now I'm, I'm, I'm curious being in, in, Oh, you didn't finish the good news. You said the bad news. What, what was the good oh, news? The good news, the good news is the good news is, is that we can tolerate it, that we can handle it, that we're all in the same boat. We're no yeah. different and we could all, and we could all really handle it. And yeah. that's very encouraging. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the, been the benefits of meditation for me. I use an app called 10% happier. I also use headspace. Um, but just to take a moment, rather than distract ourselves from all the feelings we don't want to feel with, with this or everything else. I feel like meditation, what I've learned, cause I thought meditation, you do it and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm peaceful all the time, you know, but that's not how meditation works. It's actually an opportunity just to sit with whatever you're feeling and to realize that you can tolerate it and that maybe it's not as bad. And every feeling, every thought are clouds in the sky, you know, passing by if, unless you give them power, you know, then it becomes a, a rainstorm, That's but right. it takes time, man. I think, I just think if we want a better life for ourselves, if we want to be more peaceful, have more joy, like every one of us is struggling in some capacity, but just like anything else, like we've got to put in the work. And, and I understand a lot of people don't have the resources to talk to someone. And so my passion is, you know, to hopefully, you know, inspire people to find those resources and also help provide those over time for people. Cause you know, we can be better. And like America right now, as a collective, I think we're really broken, we're angry, we're anxious, we're scared. And you can't just, you can't do that by yourself. You can't get better by yourself. You have to have a community. You have to do things individually for sure. But, you know, also getting help, talk to therapists like yourself is so important to, to have another perspective. Because you're, for years, I was just trying to figure it out on my own. So yeah, you actually, you know, anticipated my, the question I was thinking about. And so you've had the, the, the fortune of, you know, to meet a lot of different people and travel places and be involved in projects. I'm curious, you know, so you've been around younger people in high schools, you were part of this, you know, TV show and production, you were in, you know, mainstream TV. What's the environment like as far as mental health, as far as people either, whether it's stigmatized or it's not, or being open about you mean the environment that I'm detecting around me? Like, with yeah, the- so, yeah. So I, would say the, I think the, the, the good news and, the, and let me just back up because, you know, I didn't experience a lot of trauma as a kid or any trauma, frankly. Um, you know, things were pretty good. Life was pretty good till I was about 18. And then I got to college and then experienced for the first time, this anxiety manifest. And I didn't know what to do with it. Like, I didn't even know that anxiety was a thing for people that, you know, weren't quote unquote crazy. Right. And so 
I struggled. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to talk to. I, you know, it just, this was in 2001 and nobody talked about it openly. So what I'm really happy about to your question now is that mental health, this idea of mental wellness, and, and there's, you know, debate about what that actually is, but is so much more openly talked about. And, you know, in fact, even in Texas, where I live now, the Texas Association of Student Council, Terry Ham's the woman that runs it, the executive director, and we have a really good relationship. And every year they have to pick a theme, like for the entire state of Texas that student councils focus on, and theirs is directly related to like mental health and the destigmatization of it. And so I, I'm stoked that we're in a place where we're starting to talk about being not okay. And in fact, we have a new podcast coming out that's really embodies that spirit, you know, being not okay and talking to successful people about times when they weren't okay, because everyone goes through it. You can still achieve the things you want to achieve with some of these things. I mean, I'm a perfect example of that. And just funny enough that the thing that was my dream is when I experienced the most, you know, crappy, arguably, not crappy, most challenging, difficult, confusing time of my life. Yeah, that's great. And that sounds like a great project. And I'm sure people yeah. are going to get out of it. So we can, I mean, for me, this is a very meaningful and I'm sure that people uh, got something out of it and we can talk for probably for hours, <laughs> but yeah. we are going to wrap it up. How would people, if people want to learn more about, you know, dude, be nice or. Yeah, you can go to, you can go to our website. We're going to launch a new website soon, depending on when you hear this, watch this, it may or may not be launched. This is dudebenice.com. There are ways to get involved and make dude be nice a part of your community. You can check out our YouTube page, just search for Dude Be Nice and Instagram, Dude Be Nice and Facebook. We're on all those things and just watch our videos. Hopefully they bring some sort of inspiration and hope in what often feels like a hopeless time. And uh, yeah, I mean, our goal is uh, the best thing that can happen for us. And, and like we're seeing it right now, I'm actually getting tagged in things on social media as we speak is when schools, gyms, organizations in whatever size say, hey, we want to make Dude Be Nice a part of our, our DNA. And so what that means is for schools, for example, a lot of schools will create a whole Dude Be Nice day or week where they recognize people that are underappreciated or you know, decorate in a certain way or buy custom shirts from us that have Dude Be Nice in their school name or organization. And so when we see that, that's the biggest payoff for us is when we see this little brand impacting people in a positive way. Awesome. All right. So I encourage everyone to, to reach out and get involved. And Brent, thank you again. I appreciate you sharing. I'm sure everyone listening appreciates you sharing. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, hopefully we brought some value to some people today and people feel like they're not alone if they're struggling specifically with anxiety, OCD or any of that stuff.